Are you ready for the word? All right. I want to, I want to uh, today kind of finish the series that I started about three weeks ago. The most important voice in your life. The most important voice in your life. And we, we had to, um, we've been talking about the fact that, uh, you know, that there's different voices that sometimes try to kind of dictate the narrative of our lives in our own minds. Um, and, and often, while it is easy to identify an external voice, we don't always know what to do with the, the voices on inside of us. We're sometimes pulled one way or the other, and we don't know sometimes whether it's the devil or God is speaking to us, or it's ourselves or our flesh or the world. There are all these conflicting voices sometimes going on in our brain, and one of them wants to dictate the narrative of our lives. And it's, it's so important to identify those voices. I mentioned last week I saw this little cartoon by Garfield where he said, I wish I had a, a color ID for all the voices in my head. <laughs> a color ID. Something that would, would identify who's talking with me, whose voice should I follow. And I said last week that, you know, the Word of God is actually God's color ID because the Bible says that God's Word you know, is a discerner of the thoughts of man. So when you get into the Word and the Word gets on inside of you, then when the thought pops up, you know immediately who's talking. You know immediately what voice to yield to or what voice to reject. And so we talked about that. We talked about those voices. And we talked about um, um, how to take control over the narrative of those thoughts. No. So I, I put together on, on the request of many, many people, uh, uh, and never, my never again list, you remember I mentioned last week to you that I have a never again list. Uh, I will never again say I can't because according to Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'll never again say I lack because according to Philippians 4.19, I, uh, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. I'll never again say I fear because 2 Timothy 1.17 says, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of a sound mind. That's how one of the ways you kind of take control of the narrative that is going on or the voices that are going on inside of you. So thinking of you, we have, I have put together my own uh, uh, never again list, and, and I want to make it available for you. It's full of scriptures, and on your way out uh, in the uh, info desk, you can grab one or two, as many as you want, and, uh, and please put that in your Bible, and every day, do what I do. I go through these declarations. I declare, you know, I am not weak, because Joel 3.10 says, let the weak say, I am strong, because Exodus 15.2 says, you know, and, and I, we declare the Word of God. And that way, you replace all the negative information that the enemy, all the voices that say that you can't, that you're not good enough, that you were born on the wrong side of whatever arguments the enemy has against you, you replace them with the Word of God. So out there, free of charge, on your way out, either in the eye wall or in the uh, info desk. So there it is for you. It's for you, my gift for you. You're welcome. <laughs> Ungrateful bunch. <laughs> now, Proverbs 23:7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So what that means is that our thoughts, in a way, kind of set the course of our lives. And this is such an important topic, and Jesus spoke so much about it. So last week, where did we end? We ended 
in Luke chapter 24, verse 38, and that was the last scripture we quoted, uh, and, and, and Jesus appeared to his disciples, and Jesus says to them, why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your heart or in your thoughts? And so we, we saw that one of the voices that sometimes, that often speaks the loudest in our lives, other than the voice of fear, is the voice of doubt. And when Jesus went into that room and the disciples were there, Jesus I immediately identified the, an inward voice, the prevailing kind of narrative in the, eye, in the, in the disciples' hearts was like, no, this, this can't be. This. And there was doubt and they were troubled. And then the translation says they were frightened. And so I want to talk today about defeating the voice of doubt. Defeating the voice of doubt. When I first gave my life to the Lord, that was probably my number one, my, the prevailing voice in my mind. I was studying to be a lawyer. I had, I had also studied extensively philosophy. I had been taught to, to, um, uh, in my mind to be critical, analytical, skeptical, I, I was taught to never take anything at face value and, and certainly question and, and counter. And I would sometimes find myself, I remember in the early days of my faith, kind of sitting in church and kind of having a mental dialogue with a preacher. And, <laughs> and, and, and whatever he was saying, I was, I was having a little argument with him. Uh, and, and so that was probably uh, the prevailing thought that I had in my mind. It was probably the hardest enemy to defeat in my own life was the, the voice of doubt. But let's start with Luke 24, verse 36. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. Do you realize that the voice of Jesus always comes differently from the voices of the enemy, the voice of the world? Jesus always says, Peace. The enemy always says, you know, be anxious, be worried. Why aren't you worried? And if you're not worried, the enemy finds a way of making you feel guilty that you're not worried. And, uh, and then you get worried that you're not worried, you know, and anxiety and fear. And, but Jesus said, peace be to you. But they were terrified and frightened. And they supposed it was a spirit. They supposed it was a ghost. And they said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet that it is high, handle myself and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you, as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hand and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy, they, they marveled and they said to them, have you not, have you food here? Have you have, do you have some food here? And he, so they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and some honeycomb. Now, I want you to see that Jesus had to kind of almost demonstrate that it was him. When the, the moment they saw him, they, they cried out, frightened. And they said, it is a ghost. And I think of the other passage in Mark chapter 6 where Jesus walking on the waters. And the Bible says when they saw Jesus walking on the waters towards them, the Bible says that they were, they were frightened and they cried out and they said, it is a ghost. And when Jesus came, Jesus said, it is I, don't be afraid. You know, how do you know the voice of the devil and the voice of Jesus? It's the two opposite voices. One says, don't be afraid. The other one says, be afraid, be very afraid. It is a ghost. The devil is out to catch you. 
So I want you to see that, again, the same scenario. They see Jesus again, and they said, it is a ghost. I don't know, but they probably, they probably, I don't know, fishermen in that part of the world, they were very superstitious, and they still are. Uh, in that part of the world, one of their superstitions is that they don't allow, for instance, a woman to come into the boat. They say, it gives bad luck. Ghosts that walked on the waters to come to the disciples. And it, not, it was not a ghost that was raised from the dead. It is Jesus. Jesus walks on the water. Jesus was raised from the dead. We should not have faith in the devil. We should have faith in God who raises the dead and calls those things that are not as though they were. Come on. Somebody help me preach today. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. So they thought they were seeing a ghost. And, and so in their thoughts, they clearly listening to, they were listening to the wrong voice, the voice of fear, the voice of doubt. And I find it interesting that Jesus had to almost persuade them. Jesus had to almost, he had to do this little demonstration. He says, handle me, handle me, touch me, and see that I, I'm not a ghost. I have flesh and I have bones. I, I, I am Jesus. It is me. And and to top it up, he said, come on, guys, let's have a feed. Let's, let's eat, you know, because ghosts don't eat, you know. Come on, it is me. And I, I find that in so many passages of the scriptures that Jesus, he had to kind of persuade. A lot of his preaching was actually persuasion. It's trying to tell people to, that they can really believe God. You know, last week we, we looked at uh, how many times Jesus said to these disciples, in that speech, he said, don't worry, four times, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. He's trying to silence the voice of worry, don't worry. And in between those four statements, Jesus makes a, a, clear, a clear case for believing God. It's like you can believe God. You know, the natural unrenewed mind will always argue and will always present a case for doubt and a case for fear. You see, our minds, it's, it's, it's a funny thing, but our minds need to be persuaded. And I remember that so clearly when I came to Christ. Really, my mind had to be persuaded, come to a place where it was convinced that it was so. And in so many of the messages of Jesus, Jesus really trying to uh, make them believe and, and replace fear with faith, replace doubt with belief. You know, in verse, uh, uh, um, in, in um, in, uh, I've just jumped two pages in my notes. That's okay. Uh, maybe the Lord wants me to hurry up. <laughs> He's listening to someone's prayer here today. God, let that preacher hurry up. We're going to go home. <laughs> but Jesus said, don't worry. And, it's, and he reasoned with those listening by asking rhetorical questions like, which of you, by worrying, can add the cubit to its stature? It was as if Jesus tried to persuade them that they can really believe. Now, clearly, our minds need to be convincing because the voice of doubt often takes over. That is why we need to meditate in the words of Jesus, take to heart what he said. And we ourselves, we need to ask ourselves those same questions that Jesus asked the people when he was preaching. How many of you, by being worried, you can add one cubit to your stature? Consider the lilies of the field. And sometimes we need to do that within ourselves. Let that be our own narrative and speak it out loud and go like, Louis, why, why are you worried about this bill? You know what? Didn't God supply all your needs before? And, and in a way, that's an exercise of 
convincing, persuading your mind until your mind accepts the narrative of faith and rejects the narrative of doubt. Is this clear? So, uh, I, let me just read a testimony, just a wonderful testimony. Um, this lady, a year ago I was so crippled by pain and fatigue that I could hardly walk. At 32, I had been diagnosed with an incurable disorder. My faith was weak. And I spoke to you because I just couldn't see past a life of pain. And you encouraged me to look into the scripture and to find the promises of healing and hold on to God's promises. Well, that sounds like me. That's, yeah, I would have said that. And this lady said, thank you so much. A year has passed, and now I am healed. I am more strong and active than I have ever been in my whole adult life. I have faith now that God will step in for me in any situation, and abundant hope and a great future. Thank you for your words last year. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? But what I, what I find amazing is, you know, she said that she said my faith was weak. And she didn't say, you prayed for me. She said, you told me to go and get into the scriptures. Why? Because, you know, sometimes I, I have prayed for people and I can sense that in between my hands as I'm praying for them, there's, a, there's, a, there's so much <laughs> interaction. There's all these voices and, 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 and you know, it's, it's better that we silence the voice of doubt that we override the negative voices of the enemy that say that we can't, that we'll never get healed. The lady said, I could not, I could see, I just couldn't see past a life of pain. You see, that was the mindset that she carried. And God, I really believe God had to work on her mindset. And you know what? She's now totally healed from an incurable disease. How did that happen? Some big anointed preacher, big shot came and no. She looked into the, the, the word of God, into the promises of God. She changed the narrative on inside of her. Amen. And the word of God started producing what the word of God does. Amen. The word of God never turns void to God, but it always accomplishes the purpose which God was ascended. Amen. Hallelujah. The Bible says, I... He sent his word and he healed them. If people would understand that there is healing in this word, if we're diligent with the word, the word will do what the word says will do. Amen. So let me talk about now the voice of faith, the voice of doubt, the voice of faith. Well, when I think of the voice of faith, I think of the father of faith. I think of Abraham. R Romans 4.21, and being fully persuaded. Oh, I like that. Here's a man who is fully persuaded that he had promised, and he was able to perform. And then God was faithful, God was able, and God was going to perform. But he was fully persuaded of that. Can you say out loud that with me? God is faithful, God is able, and God performs. Hallelujah. And Abraham was fully persuaded of that. But if you look at the history of Abraham, actually, uh, Abraham... Um, the father of faith had to come to that place of being fully persuaded. It was not automatic. You know, and, and I understand why. I mean, after all, he received the, the promise that he would be the father of many nations when he was 100 years of age and his wife was 90. I understand why he needed some persuasion. <laughs> it's like 90, 100. How's it going to be, Lord? 
And it took about 25 years for the firstborn of all those nations that were to be born to be born. 25 years is a long time to wait for a promise to be fulfilled, especially when you're kind of, you're not running out of time. You have no time left. You're like 100, you know, 90. What's... So I want you to see that Abraham, when, when he first received that promise, it was not like, oh, praise God, yes, and amen. Now the Bible says that he fell on his face and he laughed and his wife laughed and God had to bring him them up on that like you laughed. No, I didn't, God. Liar, liar, pants on fire. You laughed. <laughs> they laughed because it was in too improbable. It was too impossible. It was crazy. So th then apart from the, that initial thing, there was also a time of frustration. Genesis 15 verse 2, Abraham said, Lord, what will you give me since I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer the, from Damascus. It's like, God, I'm childless. What, what's, what's going on? There's this frustration. So it was a process. Abraham didn't start out fully persuaded, fully convinced. In actual fact, he started with laughter and skepticism and thinking, well, did God check my birth certificate? I'm too old for this kind of stuff. Aren't you glad God never checks your birth certificate, your bank account? You know, hallelujah. What he says applies. He's faithful, he's able, and he will perform. Hallelujah. Verse 6, then, then God brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed God, and it accounted to him for righteousness. Now, this is the first time in the whole narrative, in the whole story of Abraham, that it says that he believed God. Because up to that point, obviously, he didn't. Obviously, maybe mentally, there was a mental ascent. Oh, yes, maybe. But in his heart, he was not fully persuaded. He was not fully convinced. But that was the moment when God brought him outside and God showed him a picture. In his mind, he carried a picture of childlessness, a picture of barrenness, a picture of impossibility. And God pulled him out of the tent and God gave him a different picture. God persuaded him. God painted in the sky, you know, a, a picture of fruitfulness and expansion and growth and development. Amen. And so, what, you know, what, what was that all about? It was God convincing Abraham. And so from that point forward, he was convinced. He was fully convinced. Let's read in, um, you see, God had to touch his imagination and in his mind. Romans 4, 17. As it is written, I've made you a father of many nations, who in the presence of him who believed, God who gives life to the dead, and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. And not being weak in the faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was already 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. Hallelujah. Everyone say, God is faithful, God is able, and God performs. Hallelujah. Verse 22, therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now it was written for his sake alone, 
that it was imputed to him, but also for us. For us here in Roville this morning, this was written for us. Now, we cannot be strong in faith with a doubtful mind. So let me talk about the persuaded mind. You know you have great faith when you are fully persuaded, convinced beyond doubt. You know, fully indicates the absence of any other doubt, of any other argument. It's like, it's, it's, it's it. It's God has put an exclamation mark, and that's it. There's no more question marks to this sentence. You know, there's no more room for what if or anything like that. You're fully persuaded. Uh, you see, as I've been saying, our minds, they need to be persuaded. The mind presents arguments. It will question it will reason, it will analyze, it will scrutinize, it will evaluate, it will criticize. And I, I, I tell you what, I, I don't find that as much when I go to developing countries, but in Western world countries, I know often I'm, I'm having a dialogue. I, I think I'm preaching, but I'm actually having a dialogue because a lot of times on inside of those are listening, there's, there's arguing, what about this and what about that? And, and the enemy is kind of... I remember a lady I once preached in a place uh, in New Zealand, and this lady, at the end of the service, she came to me and she said, Pastor Louis, I want you to know, she said that to me, I want you to know that this whole service today, I did nothing but argue with you. <laughs> I said, really? You sound like a nice lady. What? What you were arguing with me about? She said, everything that you said. Everything that you said. I argue with everything that you said. Now, that's the before. Let's look at the after. Okay. She said, whoa, this is a year later. I can't believe how fast the year has passed since I have been saved and how blessed it has been for my family and I. God, this time last year, I was literally living from day to day. There was such a feeling of darkness, dread, and sickness in my life that I couldn't even, I couldn't even imagine being alive from one week to the next. I could never plan for more than a few days at a time into the future. I remember going to church last year thinking I made it and feeling quite at peace, coming out of it even though I was a bit skeptical. Quite a bit skeptical. How things have changed. I've never been this free or healed by God in my life. Thank you for helping me and us as a family. Thank you for taking the time to show me the truth about God. I never thought it was possible to know him in this way. Wow. Can you give Jesus a big hand? Come on. Bless. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. I mean, no doubt she took a little bit of convincing and a bit of arguing, but eventually she got there. And when she was persuaded... Power of God came into her life, and she was delivered from dread and sickness. I have the, her whole testimony. She would go to the doctors, and, and the doctor said, there's nothing wrong with your body, and yet she had severe body aches and all kinds of situations going on in her body, and she was completely free. But I want you to see that it, it is a process, and before she was really persuaded and believing in this, she went through a time of, of being skeptical. And I know all about that because that was, that's where I was before or at the point of my conversion when I gave my life to Jesus. Now, to be fully persuaded means to have absolute inward certainty that he who promised is faithful and that he's able to bring it to pass. 
Can you say out loud with me one more time? God is faithful. God is able. God will perform. Hallelujah. 2 Timothy 1.12 says, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know in whom I have believed. And I am persuaded. Everyone say persuaded. That he is able. <laughs> Everyone say God is able. God is faithful. Come on. God is faithful. God is able. God will perform. He is able to keep what I have committed him until that day. So Abraham was persuaded. Paul was persuaded. I tell you what, what a difference it makes in this world to be persuaded that God is able. What a difference. What a difference. So we need to override those other voices and live fully persuaded. You see, prayer is never an act to persuade God. Because God never needs to be persuaded regarding His promises, regarding who He is. You know, prayer is, prayer is it's, it's our mind that needs to be persuaded. It's our mind that often needs to be, be convinced. <laughs> Amen. And we need to tell ourselves, God is faithful. God is able. God's going to perform. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Come on. Give Jesus a hand. Do something. You know, and there are times when we know things intellectually, but that doesn't mean that we are fully persuaded about them. You know, I mean, we can belong to a church and have a, a system of beliefs and have a, um, like a whole uh, belief, um, what do you call it? System. Thank you. But there was another word that I was looking for. Pastor George, help me. Mission statement, of course. Thank you, Pastor Josh. I knew that. I was just checking to see if you were paying attention, you know. <laughs> and it's actually not mission statement. It's a doctrinal statement. So you're not paying attention. No, just checking. <laughs> now, you, we can have things on a doctrinal statement, but it doesn't mean that we are fully persuaded about them. And I'll never forget, you know, right at the start of serving God, I was... I was in this little church. That was my first assignment. And I was also a brand new believer. The pastor had left, so I became the default, the de facto pastor of the church. And I started preaching. And, and I'll never forget, one day, the Lord spoke to me very early in the week and said, I want you to preach about God healing next Sunday, a divine healing next Sunday. And look, I felt like God had given me, a, you know, like a, an ice cream. I was so happy. I could hardly wait for Sunday to come around. I had just been reading a book by Smith Wigglesworth. By the way, we have Smith Wigglesworth book in the, uh, the bookshop. How many copies? We have a few copies, just, just a handful of copies. Smith Wigglesworth. I, I was so pumped. I was reading Smith Wigglesworth. The story of this great man who is called the Apostle of Faith. And you know, I was so pumped reading his miracles, reading how, what God did to him. So I went into one of his messages. I stole his message I improved on it, I, increased, I put more scriptures in it, I anointed it, I laid hands on it. I said, it's going to be so, so powerful this Sunday, I can hardly wait for Sunday. And then we had connect groups on um, Wednesday, so during connect group on Wednesday, I was supposed to actually read the prepared lesson, but I, I couldn't help myself, I just went ahead, and I just preached the message that I was supposed to preach on Sunday. I'm like, you know, God is a healing God, all this kind of stuff, praise God. And I'll never forget this one elderly lady looking at me really strange, and she said, well, young man, 
It's good to be enthused, but life has many lessons to teach you, you know. <laughs> it looked like suddenly all this fire that I had, it looked like the fire brigade had just come into the room and put out all the fire. And if there's one ministry we don't need in the church, it's the fire brigade ministry. We, if anything, we need more fire. Amen. More fire of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. More fire in Jesus' name. And so, you know, I, I felt deflated and I felt disappointed. And, I'm like, and God said, well, it's your fault. I told you to preach Sunday. <laughs> okay, so, I mean, just a couple of days after. I think it was, yeah, one of the ways. It was Thursday. I was on a bus going somewhere. Then I saw the place where I was supposed to leave. I got up, and I, as I'm walking towards the door, I, I never realized that I, I didn't see. I was just up in the clouds. Hallelujah. And I never saw that the door of the bus was open. And the next step that I took was not down the steps. It was outside the bus. And I, I landed outside the bus. There's a bus in motion. And I just landed on the tarmac with cars coming and, you know, stopping. And I fell and... And I fell right on a pothole. It looked like the devil had lovingly prepared a pothole right for the moment where it was going to land after the fall of that bus. Why are you laughing? It hurts my feelings. Come on, I fell down. I, I thought I was going to count on your sympathy, but oh, God, help me, you know. And I fell down that thing. When I fell down, I mean, the, the bus stopped. The bus driver comes out. He says, are you okay? Are you okay? I mean, I'm almost scratched all over. I mean, my notes, the things that I had were scratched, scratched all around. The, the, I'm like, I, I tried to stand up, and I could not stand up. The bus driver himself came outside with some people. They helped me up, and I looked at my leg. It didn't look good. It didn't look good. And so there was a clinic just across the road. They, t they dragged me to the clinic, and, and the pain was excruciating in my leg. The doctor looked at me and gave me immediately a referral to the hospital. He said, you go to the hospital right now because, you know, you most likely have broken your leg. And in my mind, I'm thinking, this can't be happening. I was supposed to preach about healing on Sunday. <laughs> and what am I going to do, you know, get there? With my crutches, hallelujah, Jesus heals. I mean, it would be okay, you know. It, it would still be true. And he said, he shall lay crutches on the sick and they shall, no, no, hands on the sick. I'm like, God, what's going on? I asked the guy, how long will I, he said, he, he, he said well, I, said, I asked him, if, if I have broken my leg, what will happen? He said, they'll plaster your leg. I said, how long will I have the plaster on my leg? He said, well, give it a few weeks, maybe four, six weeks, at, at, at least six weeks. And then you have, I'm like, I don't even have six days before the healing meeting on Sunday. I'm running out of time. I'm a bit like Abraham. He says that I don't feel like laughing. I'm crying now. I called my wife, who at the time was not yet my wife. She was uh, my fiance. We were kind of engaged to be married. She was, we, and he said, call your dad. Take me to the hospital. She, my my father-in-law came. Ended up in a hospital. How depressed I felt that day. It's not hard to feel depressed in the hospital because everybody's sick. But, but to be there sick, you kind of feel like praying for everybody. You feel like, you know, I should be here praying for everybody, not being sick. My God, I started having a little pity party. I'm sure you never had one of those. But I had one right there and then. I'm like, God, you know, why? You know, that's the first thing that comes out of your mouth. God, why? And, uh, and then suddenly the voice of that lady started ringing in my ears. Young man. 
It's good to be enthused. But life has yet many lessons to teach you, you know. So Pastor Alexander was right there with me. And she said, why don't you practice what you preach? I said, well, I haven't even preached it yet. Yeah, but come on. So she dragged me to the entrance of the toilets, you know. <laughs> Sorry. That was the only place that was a little bit more quiet or something. We just went there. And she started praying for me. Because I was like kind of, oh, God. She started praying with boldness. In the name of Jesus, be healed right now. I'm like, oh, God. And as she's praying, you know, I know something is happening in my own mind. There's some, some Holy Spirit persuasion. I feel the presence of God, the fire of God. And suddenly out of my mouth came these words. I mean, she's here. She can testify. I, I came out of these words. I said to her, in the name of Jesus, whom I serve and whom I belong, I'm going to walk out of this hospital today without crutches on my legs, and I will preach about healing on Sunday in the name of Jesus. She said, amen. Now we're talking business. Hallelujah. Come on. And then I, then I said, okay, now, let me stand up. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, Jesus. I'm healed. I'm healed. My leg doesn't know yet, but I'm healed. I am healed. I'm healed. And I went all the way to the seat saying, I'm healed, and I'm healed. And in between, I'm healed. I'm like, ah, oh, I'm healed. I was in absolute agony, but I'm staying there. I'm sitting there. And you know, public hospitals, uh, uh, you, you wait until you die, you know, almost. At like 3 o'clock in the morning, you know, this, finally, finally the doctor came and said, well, we've done some x-rays. I need to do another one because we've got conflicting x-rays. I'm like, whoa, praise God. To cut a long story short, I did another x-ray. It was conflicting. I think the doctor was conflicted within himself. <laughs> Hallelujah. But I walked out of that hospital without crutches, without plaster on my leg. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. When I got home, it was still swollen. And that was like, yeah, look at that. It's swollen. It's a mess. It's going to hurt so much when you wake up in the morning. <laughs> but, you know, I was now, now it was not just part of my doctrinal statement. Now I was fully persuaded that he was faithful. He's able. And he performs. Hallelujah. And I tell you what, I got out of there. Praise God. And on Sunday, I preached about divine healing. Anything that didn't move, moved in Jesus' name. Amen. And we had a ball. We had a wonderful time. There was a lady there I'll never forget. A lady that came with crutches with, with her two sons. And she walked out of that place by her own legs. You remember that? Praise God. Can we give Jesus a hand? Hallelujah. The fully persuaded mind. The fully, you know, among the voices of condemnation, fear, doubt, let the voice of God be the voice that prevails. Let it speak louder. Let's increase the volume of the promises of God in our lives till we're no longer skeptical, analytical, thinking, is this going to happen? No, in Jesus' name. Let, let our confession be God is faithful, God is able, and God will perform. Hallelujah, in Jesus' name. One last scripture, and then we're done. Hallelujah. Romans 8, 35. This is something that you need. This is something very good to persuade your mind with. Who shall, can we read together? Can we read together? Let's do this together. 
One, two, three. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're killed all day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Hallelujah. For I am persuaded. Come on. Elbow the person next to you and say, are you persuaded yet? Are you persuaded yet? Come on. I am persuaded. Come on, say it. I am persuaded that neither death no life, no angels, no principalities, no powers, no things present, no things to come, no height, no debt, nor any other thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Come on. Come on. Let's all stand to our feet today. Come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Say with me, I am persuaded. I am persuaded. I am persuaded. Hallelujah. God is able. God is faithful. God will perform. Can you say that out loud with me? I am persuaded. God is faithful. God is able. God will perform. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Come on. Give Jesus the biggest hand. Come on, give him praise. Give him praise, give him praise, give him praise. Amen. Come on.